Welcome to the NutraCast, a production by Nutra Ingredients USA. I'm Danielle Masterson. Thank you for joining me here on the NutraCast, where we talk and share insights from inside the nutrition industry. Between worker shortages, plant shutdowns, trucking issues, backups at the ports, supply chains are pinched and prices are growing. Every industry is feeling the inflation burn, and the health and wellness sector is no exception. According to Spins, signs of inflation are showing up in vitamins and supplements. Joining me now is Daniel Harari, GM of e-commerce solutions at Spins. Hi, Daniel, and welcome to the NutriCast. Hi, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Excited to have this conversation today. I'm excited, too. So before we get into everything, what's your role at Spins? Yeah, so Spins recently acquired ClearCut Analytics. I was one of the co-founders there, and uh, Spins is making a big push to to be uh, a player in the digital space and provide uh, some of the same great data that Spins provides for brick and mortar, but for what's happening online and on Amazon. So they recently created a new new division, e-commerce solutions, and I am the general manager of that division. Okay. And so you did some research recently that kind of caught my eye. You did a month-over-month comparison. When you started looking into inflation, what VMS categories did you focus on? So we tried to sort them based on largest categories. We're tracking over 120 categories in total, but we were looking at some of the largest categories in, in the VMS department, as we call it as a whole. What categories would those be? Categories like protein powder, probiotics, multivitamins, calcium, magnesium, uh, some of the, the big players. So when you looked at all this data, what category had the highest price change? So one of the categories that continues to have one of the highest increases in average prices is protein powder. If you look at the data, actually, April, some updated data, so April of this year compared to April of, of last year, Uh, the average price is up over 13%. Wow. Has that category ever seen any increase like that before? I'm not sure of this magnitude. Whey protein, as as a subset of protein powder, has been experiencing a lot of uh, price pressure from manufacturers because of the cost of whey. But it is the one that is probably increasing at the fastest rate. Another category that caught my attention was weight loss. That had a pretty significant price increase, right? That's correct. And that has slowed a bit. Now, as of the latest data, it's up about 2% um, when, when it was up uh, quite a bit more than that um, on the original article that we had, had posted. It was up about 10% back then. So I think the rate of increase has slowed. So it's, it's growth on growth, but it isn't increasing at the double digit rate that it was increasing back in February and March. Why do you think weight loss went up so much? Do you think it's from all the weight gain over the pandemic? It's possible. Some of these categories are being impacted by similar things like the cost of packaging and the cost of shipping and logistics and things like that. Others are being impacted by the raw materials that go into the individual capsules and pills and so forth. Um, I'm not sure of why specifically weight loss increased by double digits a few months ago but it is still going up in price. So it's one of the categories that's a little bit smaller on the Amazon platform. So there was less competition and less price pressure on the way down, which allowed for the, the category to increase much more quickly. Mm-hmm. And then there were some other categories that were more average price increases. What were some of those? So these categories, we pulled some of that data again. So the categories that were growing at a very fast pace from an average price perspective, 
Um, some of those have slowed. So vitamin C is, is still increasing up about 3.7% when you look at April compared to April of last year. Other categories like digestive complex are have increased almost 12% year ago. What about children's supplements? Can you see where those came in at? Yeah, so children's supplements are up just under 2% um, April to April of, of this year compared to last year. Mm-hmm. What has remained unchanged, if anything? Yeah, certain categories have slowed down or remain unchanged. So some of those are like probiotics, immunity supplements are relatively unchanged. We've seen them waver from both increasing slightly to also going down slightly in price. Probiotics has recently increased a bit more, but it was one of those categories that was flat about a month prior to it. Other categories, on, like I mentioned in the immunity supplement side, categories like zinc, categories like uh, immunity complex are categories that were very popular back in the middle of pandemic. And there has been an oversaturation of inventory in the market. And that has created a lot of price pressure down to boost some of that inventory and and reduce some of the inventory levels for these these categories, which has reduced the impact of inflation within within these categories. Mm -hmm. And speaking of inflation, a lot of people probably wouldn't think that prices would drop, but you actually saw some decreases as well, right? Yeah, and we still are. So we're seeing decreases in, in categories like men's health, nootropics, mental complex is like a subset of it. Multivitamins are actually down uh, slightly compared to April of last year. Okay. What happened when you zoomed in on minerals? Yeah, so minerals are an interesting one. Uh, magnesium is up about 3% April to April. So that's relatively in line to uh, what we expected for that category. Zinc is one that I just mentioned is completely flat because of that downward pressure on immunity products. But calcium and potassium are both up pretty significantly. Uh, both are up about 7%. And so when you looked at it, it mostly stayed the same, but there was definitely a, a mineral subcategory that rose. Uh, potassium went up 27%. Yeah, so that that was up back then. Um, that rate of growth has slowed, but it is still significant. So it, it's it's interesting when we see the rates of growth of the average prices slow as a percentage, but it's uh, the absolute number, the, you know, the, the dollar value may still be increasing at a at a faster rate. But we're just getting a percentage over a higher average price. That's a bigger number. Okay. When you look at these numbers, are you able to see what is causing the, the fluctuation or is it just sort of speculation? It's a combination of both, right? So there are things that we do know on the clear cut side of the business. We're tracking what's happening on Amazon in the U.S. So Amazon, for example, implemented a what they're calling a fuel surcharge of about 5% to the price of shipping the products from Amazon fulfillment centers to somebody's front door. So that's a very direct number that we can point to and say there is an increased cost there. But just overall, the cost of oil, of having to ship products from a brand's distribution center to a uh, retailer's uh, distribution center, then to Amazon, and the, the cost of packaging. So there are things that are impacting the industry as a whole across all retail channels. And then there are things that are specific to Amazon, like that fuel surcharge that has increased the price. 
Yeah, you know, a few days ago, I was speaking with Caroline Beckman of Nori, and she was telling me that the freight prices are so out of control. Uh, she's trying to keep some of her things regional because they're they're so pricey. What can brands do to keep things affordable? The Amazon channel is very different than what we see in brick and mortar. So in brick and mortar, you essentially, as a manufacturer brand, have a, a price list. You agree to wholesale cost to a retailer. And then you can try to get that increased. I know that certain retail chains have allowed multiple increases over the last 12 months because of the situation, but you're kind of locked in, right? So it's kind of a negotiation between you and the retail buyer. On Amazon, it's very different in the sense that it is dynamic. So you can change the retail pricing of your products on Amazon minute by minute, depending on how you want to price it based on increased costs and so forth. So we're seeing dynamic pricing on Amazon that is more of a truer metric of how the brands are needing to price their products on the channel. Would you say that the majority of products are sold on Amazon more than any other channel? Yeah, I mean, Amazon has a much larger coverage of products and brands and categories than any other retailer. So uh, we're seeing thousands of brands and, and tens of thousands of brands on the Amazon platform is across all different kinds of categories. So we're seeing a much wider array of, of options of products, brands, categories than what we've seen retail. Uh, the reason for that is, you know, pretty straightforward. Retail stores have a, a physical base that they have to fit bottles in. And so it's limited. They can only fit so many bottles on a shelf. Amazon or anybody.com is essentially infinite and you can list whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Where are the biggest areas of e-commerce opportunity in 2022? Do you, do you think it is Amazon or should sellers look elsewhere? Continue to think it's Amazon. There are uh, other smaller .coms that uh, you know have made some inroads in, in stealing some share. Other major companies like Walmart have, have done a, a nice job over the last few years. But Depending on the category that you're looking at, Amazon has a, at least in CPG and in vitamins and supplements, 70 to 80% of the market share of e-commerce through Amazon. So you sometimes may be spinning your wheels trying to figure out a different dot-com when the largest opportunity still continues to be the Amazon platform. Gotcha. And speaking of Amazon, you know, they've implemented quite a few quality standards in recent months and years. Does that have any effect on sales? I think it has a net, very positive effect. Uh, Amazon has uh, essentially no gatekeeper. So there's no retail buyer for a chain deciding what goes on the shelf or in the planogram. There's no real process of picking and choosing what, what gets offered to the consumer, kind of a, more of a free market. That has caused uh, both very positive things where you see all kinds of brands and products that you otherwise wouldn't see, but it also causes a situation where there's less controls, quality controls as to uh, what products are being listed, are the claims on those labels legitimate? So um, are the the claims being made, uh, actually, can you fit that many milligrams of that product in a in a tablet or in a capsule? And are there any dangerous ingredients that are not listed on those products? So what Amazon did was uh, was important. They they set these standards up. Uh, brands that were in the VMS categories had to go through a certain process, provide Amazon C of A's and and the different analysis to, pr- to prove that the products that they were listing on their platform were actually contained what they were claiming. This benefited the brands that conduct business in a, in a good and positive way, brands that have been around for years that uh, use good manufacturers, 
and are uh, good players in this industry. And it negatively impacted a lot of those brands that were you know, cutting corners or, or just doing black hat practices and putting the consumers at risk. So you think it has made an impact because there are some companies like now Foods who have done sort of exposés and went out and bought various nutraceuticals on Amazon and tested them and found that they still contain some of those dangerous ingredients or doses that are, are lower than what's listed on the label. Yeah, so now Foods has been doing this for years and they were actually one of the the parties, if I'm not mistaken, just to have personally having conversations with now that actually pushed Amazon to do something. Now is a, is a manufacturer that's very well respected, that is best in class. And they were having to deal with competing against brands that were just making false claims on their products. You know, we, we applaud now for what they did to get Amazon or help to get Amazon maybe across this line and applaud them for continuing to try to keep the market honest. It's never going to be perfect. There are always going to be bad actors out there that figure out how to kind of skirt the system and cut corners with these policies. But I can tell you that the consumer itself can be a lot more confident today than they were maybe 18 months ago of what they're buying on Amazon from a, uh, a dietary supplement perspective. Mm-hmm. While we're on the topic of Amazon, I think I read somewhere that about 70% of online reviews are fake. Any indication, any idea if that's ever going to get improved or if there is a way to improve it? Yeah, it's a great point. Uh, this used to be, a, again, an issue that was much larger years ago. There were a lot of brands that were able to game the system and get fake or farmed reviews to increase the amount of reviews on products that just mathematically couldn't have received that many reviews in such a short period of time. That increased their sales, gave them a competitive edge in a very black hat way that got them to, to grow much more quickly than others. Amazon has put a lot of measures in place to avoid this, and this has improved it. But if you're seeing a product that looks like it hasn't been on the market for very long and it has, you know, 20,000 reviews at an average of 4.8 out of 5, you can kind of be suspicious that maybe a lot of those aren't real. So just kind of do your own diligence as a consumer read some of those reviews and go to the negative reviews actually first to see how legitimate the reviews are for those products. And if it kind of looks normal, if, if, a, if a brand of a product has, you know, one, two, four, 5,000 reviews, and it is a relatively popular product, that's fine. But if it's a product that you've never heard of and it has 30,000 reviews, being skeptical is completely normal. So go to the negative reviews first, something to keep in mind. And before I let you go, uh, any chance prices could go back to normal? We're starting to see signs in the market across other industries that maybe inflation has reached its peak. So we're unsure what's going to happen in brick and mortar because brands do have those agreements and contracts with the retailers of what the retailer is going to be purchasing at. On Amazon, we do expect Amazon to be that kind of canary in the coal mine of when prices will start to soften first because, it's again, it's dynamic and it's up to the brand or the retailer to quickly make that change without having to have any issues with agreed upon uh, wholesale costs and price lists to manufacture. So I think Amazon is the first place to truly track to see which way uh, average prices are going for these categories. And we can then make assumptions into that happening a few months down the road in, in the brick and mortar channels. All right. All eyes on Amazon. Uh, any news research updates that you want to share with the listeners? 
Yeah, one of the things that we just always like to recommend is to make Amazon a, a forefront of, of the strategy. So we've uh, at ClearCut and now it spins. We work with the leading uh, CPG brands, brands that are global, as well as some of the smaller brands and brands that are just getting started. And, and brick and mortar tends to be a focus for most brands, but we always recommend that they take a look at what's happening on Amazon because it is a leading indicator of what's going to then occur in brick and mortar. And so what we've done with the ClearCut acquisition and the bringing the data sets together is at ClearCut and Spin, we've aligned the data sets, so the categorization of what we report on to match. So our clients are able to see their performance in brick and mortar, as well as on Amazon, as a single source of truth, knowing that reliably the categories that they're looking across channels in Amazon are the same, and they can compare growth rates, average prices, what the competitors are doing. And then obviously um, we're very proud of our attributes. So the, the richness of the attributes, what flavors, delivery forms, claims are being made on products that are actually moving the needle within those categories. Lots of interesting stuff. Daniel Harari, thank you so much for taking a macro view of the market and helping us dive down on a micro level. And also I appreciate you for joining me here on the NutriCast. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me and look forward to uh, doing this again soon. If you like what you just heard, you could subscribe to the NutraCast wherever you get your podcast. You can also head to NutraIngredients-USA.com for even more Nutra-related content. Thank you for listening. I'm Danielle Masterson. As always, I'll catch you here on the NutraCast next week.